Dots. I'm Dr. Latifah. I'm the host of the Money Fit MD podcast. This is where we help badass women physicians just like you learn simple and effective tools to build wealth from the inside out. That way we can create wealth and bigger impact without all the burnout. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode with your money coach, MoneyFitMD. For those that I haven't met, I'm Dr. Latifat. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad that you're choosing to spend your ears with me and learn about money because ultimately the secret is this. It's about money, but it's also not about money. It's about the fact that we get to live life and practice medicine on our own terms and we get to define what that is. So, As part of my mission to helping you guys build your wealth from the inside out, I have the incredible honor and pleasure of having my friend, my colleague, Mariko, here with you guys. So first of all, I'm going to have you guys say, welcome, Mariko. (laughs) They're like, oh, I should get here. But I can hear you. It's kind of like hallucinating, but we get each other. They're saying hello. So welcome, Mariko. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Latifah. I'm so excited. So I'm really excited that you're here for so many reasons. One, I get to hang out with you. On my platform, the kind of vision that I have is it's me sitting down with my women physicians around the fire. We're hanging out, we're chatting, and I get to talk to them about things. And I also get to bring fabulous guests to help improve their life, increase their wealth of knowledge, and increase their wealth in general. So Mariko here is not a physician, well, she's a diagnostician of a different kind, <laughs> but she doesn't deal with humans. Tell us about you. I'm going to have you just tell us who you are, your amazing stuff and everything. Sure. I am a retired money manager. I am now a business and money and investment coach. I built from scratch, literally from zero assets under management, which I wouldn't really recommend you start from zero, but to two and a half billion at its peak. And I was a stock picker. So I picked individual stocks, a concentrated portfolio of no more than 35 small cap, US small cap stocks. And I did it for like large pension funds, you know, LA fire and police, big foundations, endowments. So I was an, I was a, a piece of an institutional side. And my only job was to do my specialist thing. So I was a, a specialist in the investment field. And so I have both the the working in a small business, which a lot of doctors are now kind of going back to running their own businesses because the system is not always kind to the talent. And then also I'm just really enjoying helping people get in right relationship with money because we money is super loaded for us in a lot of ways. And I think because I had to make a lot of very high dollar investment decisions and I'm wired a little differently, I I really both enjoy it and and love it when people kind of get relax about money and uncertainty because <laughs> they both go hand in hand, right? As you know. Absolutely. 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 So you're no longer doing that. No, I don't manage money for other people anymore. Why did you change? I'm curious. Really? I was burnt out and I had a business decision to make. I had, you know, I, I had gone through a rough performance patch and I'd done this for over 25 years. And before that had been a partner in a firm that went from like 2 million to a billion. And because I'm the stock picker, it was, even though I had teams and stuff, it, I, it just, and I didn't realize it at the time, but it was really, it was really a function of both the market structures changed. 
investors started to get super short-term oriented and it was just, it was killing me slowly, <laughs> which is what happens if you don't manage your burnout early, two decades later, it will get you. <laughs> it will get you. That's, I mean, it's, of course, I wish you didn't burn out, although I'm really glad that I, I got to meet you. <laughs> and I, I, it's interesting to hear and have my audience hear that burnout is not unique to medicine. You can burn out from anything good that you do, anything bad you do even. And that's mm-hmm. the key that it's good to make sure we do it well with us being well, do it in a way that's yeah. breathable, take care of our own finances so that we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's also about seasons as well, right? Yeah. Because ultimately right. you did that and now you get to serve people in a different way. And yeah. I think you're doing a lot of great things in the world. So yeah, yeah. no, I'm, I'm enjoying myself a lot. So that's great. I'm curious, do you still invest in individual stocks? Yes. Yeah, I do actually. And Part of it is it, these are some of these are companies I've known really well, and it's only been recently. And actually, I was laughing because when you know when the world really fell apart. So in 2020, I, I did put some some money to work, but not near. I wasn't sure what I was doing with my life. I I I, I returned all my clients' assets in June of 2019, and kind of took the back half of the year, unwind the business. And then lately, you know, with with sort of the, the the market going down a lot, that's when I started to to start to pay attention again, long to kind of get me curious, which meant it was either a market top or a market bottom. But, <laughs> um, usually, I get interested when like the markets are down. I get very excited and happy. So, <laughs> so you know, we'll, we'll see. So I do that, but but I also have a mix. I also have someone who who manages a chunk of my money and it's index funds and it's balanced and in ETFs and that kind of thing as well too. So, but you know, I'm a professional, so it's, you know, it's easier. It's a lot of fun though. If people want to do it with a piece of their money, I'm all for the intellectual challenge. Yes. That's what I also, I mean, there's no one size fits all, but I'm a index fund, real estate, and a lot of times I get questions like, oh, what do you think about individual stocks or crypto yeah. and things? And yeah. my thought is, you know, you can you can have fun, but just make sure you're not putting all of your eggs in one basket. And when exactly. the fun produces great results, that's exciting, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. sometimes we take money so seriously that yeah. it's good to, okay, do boring, yeah. not predictable, but less unpredictable, and then you mm-hmm. can have fun. Yeah, and sort exactly. Of, yeah, and so you can play with it because also too, it's interesting because as doctors, you guys have an opportunity if you know that there are some drugs that are coming out. And I'm not saying that you're privy to the you know clinical trials, but that you know that wow, this drug for glaucoma is going to make a big difference, right? And you could you can you know that can be something investable for you. What you probably will need some help with is figuring out how much of that is in the price of the stock or not, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. But like that's where you can bring your own life experience. And, and if you can make money doing that, that's awesome. Or, you know, that from dealing with the company, maybe you are running some trials and they're blind. So you don't know what's going on, but you do know that the people you're dealing with are very good and competent and you're impressed by their culture, whatever, then that might be another way that you have, you know, an angle on something and, you know, by all means, you can, play. You, can, you, can you play with that. Yeah. And I think it is important to, to play. And also, yeah, I think it's also good ways to, you know, like when you're a little kid and you go on the baby roller coaster, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> you kind of need to do that before you go on the, like the giant space mountain one. 
it's a little like that. Like you can have the experience of, holy crap, that stock is down 20% or 40% because the trial <laughs> didn't work. What do I do? Right. And you learn to kind of manage your emotions around that. You learn to see that your life isn't over. You know, you might go, you know what, but it was a real technical thing and they're going back to the FDA and, and I'm really sure that they will get that approval if they just meet the whatever in six months. Right. Then you go, then I'm going to double that. It's an opportunity, right? So, so just experiencing that, but it's hard to do that when it's hundred percent of your portfolio, right? Absolutely. Much like there's no fun in seeing no fun all in of that. my portfolio go down. <laughs> and you know, that's a key point to not putting all of your eggs in one basket. Yeah. And I think what you're alluding to is what a lot of physicians, we think we don't have time. And mm-hmm. actually I have chosen to not take in the time yet, but I do think that's right. a great strategy, but it's mm-hmm. going beyond just the surface. It's learning about the culture, mm-hmm. learning about the company, learning about what they do. And honestly, I mean, this is kind of like going a little off track, but I, I mm-hmm. do think that if you want to be conscious about where your money is going, it's something that we mm-hmm. should all be mm-hmm. taking time to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm, trying to be more intentional about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing it on an individual stock level, but just sort of, I think, what company am I investing in? Where really yeah. is my money going to, yeah. right? Yeah. Am I, is my money going to things that I find ethically that I agree with? Or am I really funding things that is causing more problems in the world? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. And I think there's going to be more of, I mean, because there's a proliferation of ESG funds and uh, that which means there's a lot of really bad ones too. And then they all have different kind of takes on the world. And it's really hard to find a, a 100% do no harm in the things that I care about. But you can certainly do do less harm in your portfolio, right? Yes. You know? Okay, so this is part of the problem with Mariko and I. We can really talk about a lot of things because everything yeah. she says brings up a lot of other thoughts for me. <laughs> but, you know, we talk about do no harm, right? Mm-hmm. That is one thing that as physicians, we want to do no harm. We do know that we do harm, but Mm -hmm. we choose to minimize and do less harm, right? So when I'm doing procedures, I talk to my people about the benefits and the risks of the procedure. The chances low, I do everything I can to be safe. I discuss it with every single person, Right. right? And I think sometimes when it comes to good or bad in the world, we can sometimes be a little black and white with it. Right. And right. I don't know, that was, that was not the point of this conversation. No, here today. no, no, no. But you make a super, that is a super valid point. And I'll, and I'll tell you why that approach is the exact approach that you need to take with your advisor or that your advisor should be taking with you. So there's a couple of things that doctors have an edge over other people, right? Is that you're used to, you're trained, and now some of you are better statisticians than others, but you are trained, right, in looking, in thinking probabilistically. You are trained that there's a range of outcomes, there's a 20% probability, you know what that means, you know, that this procedure could go wrong. So you're, you're, you're used to thinking probabilistically. That's investing, okay? The, the investing is not the stock is going to go up 15% in three months, Investing is there's a range. The stock could be down 20% and it could be up 10%. And these are the things that could make it happen. Either one is correct. Your thesis is correct, right? So you're informing your clients, your, your, your patients about what could happen and you're getting their consent. Like you wouldn't operate on somebody without them saying it was okay, right? Absolutely. So that's the other thing because a lot of advisors... <laughs> And part of what I do as an investment coach is I sit with clients, with their investment advisors, 
or look at their portfolios and, 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 you know, I mean, I, I see a lot of malpractice. <laughs> I mean, like a lot, I mean, like really scary, scary stuff. So part of that is the consent thing. And this was a really important thing that I wanted to bring. This was like my number one thing that I wanted to, to sort of share with you. Cause I think this is true of all non-investment people and would also hold true for, for doctors is that you wouldn't go to somebody except maybe in a, in a temporary moment of kink or something, you wouldn't go to somebody and say, here's my body, do whatever you want with it, right? And we do that with our money all the time. Take my money. I don't want to think about it. It's responsible. It's complicated. I don't know. You know, like take my money. And so we have to really think about it. Like the same way you would go, I wouldn't just walk into Macy's and go take my body and do whatever, right? I just wouldn't. So let's not do that with our money. <laughs> Okay. I love that analogy right? so much. Right? Because it's so, so, so here's the thing. And this is what, what, what I coach people to do. You are the client. Follow the money. You are paying them. They work for you. They are not doing you a favor. They are being compensated and they need to work for you. But we come in and we're like, take my body. <laughs> You know, take my money to do whatever, right? Absolutely. And I'm going to pay you to do whatever you want. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> right. And the, so the thing is, I 100% agree with you. And part of this mm -hmm. is when I started my money journey, I knew nothing about money, zero, mm -hmm. nothing mm -hmm. at all. But the only thing that I knew based on what the attendants before me had done was, the first step to getting your money together is you get a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. So right. I made that first mistake because uh -huh. I did not learn myself. And then when I started to learn in, when I started to learn, excuse me, I realized uh -huh. that I didn't agree with their thought process. Exactly. And I also realized that they were making recommendations that was not only to the primary interest of my finances. And that's when I said, let's go. So now what I tell women physicians, there's nothing wrong in you wanting an advisor. But right. like you said, you don't give your money, your body, your time, your life's energy, really, because that's what our money has been for right. a lot of us physicians to someone and say, here, do anything with it without right. you are still the CEO. And right. the key is not for you to know everything about everything, but the key is for you to know, one, how do you screen for a good right. advisor? If right. you do choose to go that way, but also learning the stuff. And that's, I cover all that in my program uh -huh. as well, learning the right. high yield stuff so that right. you can still be the pilot. You can still be right. the driver. You can still be the CEO and the financial advisor ends up being one member or a mm -hmm. group of members of mm -hmm. your team. Right. That right. you are the CEO of. Yeah. And I would, so I'm going to, because uh, I had a thought about how doctor, because so we're often our worst enemy in terms of our affecting our investment returns. So, I mean, because you know, there's a lot of psychological traps that we do that get in the way of us making, making uh, money over the long haul. I would say doctors have a particular vulnerability and I would say they have a particular advantage, right? Because I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, about your audience. So I'll start with the advantage. The advantage is your trained diagnosticians. So when somebody shows up and goes, I don't know, I don't feel good, <laughs> right? You know how to ask questions, how long, where, and they're like, I don't know, my stomach, you know, you're like, well, uh, right. So, so you, you ask questions 
And sometimes you just go, wait, does it hurt here or here? Right. So sometimes the questions are very open-ended, right? How long has this been? You know, sometimes you're very like, you need to find out, is it the liver or the gallbladder? You know, I'm making yep. stuff up. Right. Yep. So those instincts that are finely honed in terms of figuring out like what's going on, paying attention to the signals that the patient across from you is giving off, right? Where you go, wait, I don't think they're telling me the whole truth here. Let me ask some more questions, right? Maybe they're embarrassed. They have, I don't know, you know, erectile dysfunction or something and they're, they're kind of dancing around it. And, but right. So you're not getting a straight answer. So you guys have a finely tuned practice bullshit detector. And you know how to ask questions that are open-ended and closed-ended. Like, you know the difference because not everyone does. And they're deployed at different times for different reasons. So you have a great toolbox right there, right? You just need to train it on your advisor. So that's a great advantage for being a physician. The great disadvantage of being a physician is that, one, you're very highly trained. So, I mean, you're smart, you're disciplined, right? You got you passed you got through medical school, you got through the hazing of residency, right? And you're used to being in a functional power authority, right? People come to you because, you know, their their guts in disarray and they're like vulnerable and, you know, they come to you and say, oh my God, you're, you know, you're, you're going to solve my problem. You're the, you're right. You're on the pedestal. It's really hard when you're used to being in that role to play the village idiot, Okay. It's really hard because like in a way, because you know, part of handling the patients is not, you're going to BS them. But if you're not a hundred percent sure about something, people need to feel in safe hands. You're not going to lie to them, but you're not going to be like, I don't know, man, I've never seen this before. Right. I mean, you're going to be like, you know, this is going to require a little bit more research. You frame it that way. Same thing, but it's how the energy of how you frame it. Right. So no one wants to have the energy of the village idiot. So in your day-to-day work, you don't. Your boss. Being the village idiot. Yes. That being the village idiot is the best way to find out what's going on. The best, one of the the best tools to figure out whether your advisor is full of shit or not. Okay. Okay. Tell us more. That's so you got to be willing to do that. So now (laughs) I'm here and I'm like, all right, so we can call it a village idiot or you can call it like the village curious one. Uh What kind of questions do you now ask someone that you're looking to potentially start a financial advising relationship with. Okay. I would, and, and you're right too, to, to correct me on that. I have to think of a better term for that. Like, you know, the little kid who went, the emperor has no clothes. Like whatever the little kid was, the truth teller, the village question. Well, anyway, we'll figure it out. Curiosity. Okay. Curious, but, yes. but yeah. Right. <laughs> so I would look at sort of four quadrants and if you want and then I can go through sort of the questions that I would ask and, and why and we're, we're talking about an evaluation right so one is is people right so that's an easy one because that was one thing you asked me like what credentials matter right and I would say it's not just people it's the structure in which the people are operating so this is really important right because I can read someone's bio and and kind of tell you whether this person is a client service person who like handles a client, but isn't actually pulling the, the trigger, so to speak. And then also if, if they're in a bank, you know, so everybody who's going to be in, a, in an advisory capacity at a fiduciary, in a fiduciary kind of role is going to have some training, right? Either they'll have passed the series six, seven, and 63, mm-hmm. 
or they're a CFA or they're a certified financial planner, right? That kind of thing. So you can look at the credentials of the individual person, but also just in their bio, there's a way to kind of decode the bio. And that that's something that I think might be kind of fun to do sometime and show people. But the other thing is, are you talking to an advisor at a bank? Are you talking to somebody who had a money management firm who sold it to a bank? Are you talking to a retail brokerage firm? Are you talking to a kind of fancy retail brokerage firm like, you know, like Goldman Sachs Asset Management or Morgan Stanley, high net worth, right? They dress it up in a lot of stuff. Are you talking to an investment boutique firm that handles high net worth individuals? Are you dealing with a financial planner who has built an asset management business? And the reason that they, they do this is from a business perspective, asset management and getting paid for it is, is an annuity, right? Coming up with financial plan is a, is a one shot. So you always have to kind of re, re, reload mm-hmm. that. And for a lot of people, actually, an integrated financial planning and asset manager, particularly if the financial planner is doing you know, ETFs, they're well, you know, like if their approach isn't the kind of thing where they're, they're trying to do options and derivatives and they don't know what they're doing <laughs> or sector rotation of ETF. You know, there's a lot, you still have to see what they're doing. But so, so it's important to know not only who the people are, but how they're working, because that will tell you how they're making their investment decisions. Right. Because okay. so, and, and that's a structure and we will get to process because those are other process questions. So, you know, that's important is understanding what, what the level of sophistication. The other thing too, is that, Different people have different investment philosophies, and it's important to that. That will also come out, I guess, in in the process. But kind of knowing where people come from, like what they're asking them about their their investment narrative journey, right? Because they're the people who are like investing in stocks since the age of ten, and then there are other people who like graduated from college and know what to do, and they're working at a bank, and they're like the financial advisor at the bank, <laughs> but they used to work at I don't know, you know, Hilton in the marketing department. Right. You know, yep. And, you know, I've seen that. Okay. So people really important. I would also say I, I would put in under the people category is partnering, like we talked about, right? Are they viewing you as a partner? So you as a physician taking in a new client, you have a whole intake process. You get to know them, you get to know the history, you get to get a sense of who they are. If your advisor doesn't sit with you to really understand, you know, now I'm not expecting them necessarily to be like a financial therapist. Right. But they should really get a sense of your whole picture and and their willingness to maybe to to either educate or talk to you in a non-mansplaining, condescending way. Right. So do they talk to you about objectives? Do they talk to you about your risk tolerance? Right. And then partnering with you again, what kind of communication can you expect from them? So asking for samples of what they send their clients is good. You're probably, if you're an individual retail investor, going to get a generic blah, blah, blah. This is what happened in the market, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Right. And then you get something that's just a statement that tells you, you know, you started with a million dollars. You now have a million, 20,000, whatever. So with not a lot of explanation specifically around your point. So that's people. I think that's all I have to say about people. <laughs> for now. And oh, the other thing about people is to ask about the organizational kind of a thing too, right? So if this is a team, how long have they been together? How have their assets grown? So if somebody's working for Morgan Stanley, you know, they're like, but we manage billions. Okay, fine. But your team. Oh, well, we manage 50 million. 
right? That's totally fine, by the way. It's not, I'm not saying the bigger number is, is better necessarily at all, right? How much was it last year? Oh, it was 300 million. Oh, wow, something happened, right? You, might, right? you see what I mean? Or, oh, it was 20 million, right? Or, oh, we had two people on our team and now we have 10, right? So those kinds of questions that, and people don't spend time at, and you don't need to like, this is just diagnostic, right? Like you'll ask, Somebody comes to you for gut stuff, you yeah. are going to ask them, you know, any problems with your eyes just because that's a checklist, right? And then if they go, wow, there's something and you know there's a gut eye, I'm making this up. <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever, I'm there's some gut, kind of gut eye connection, you're like, wow, bingo, right? But that's not really, you know, you're not going to focus there, right? But, but you do those kinds of things, the organizational stuff really matters. So whether it's too fast growth or decline in growth, people changes, that kind of stuff, that's important. Okay. Second P, process. Okay. So this is where being the village curious dude, that dudette is important. Okay. And this is where asking the open-ended question, right? So you sort of say, okay, and how would you approach? So again, very like, how is a sausage made basically, right? How would you approach somebody like me coming to you with a million dollar portfolio where, you know, half of it's it, in stocks, half of it's in bonds, and the half that's in stocks are very low cost basis stocks, right? Let's just say you inherited it from your great aunt Martha or something, and right, lucky you. And how would you do it? And you just sit back and you let them talk. And whenever they say anything that you don't understand, okay, and I'm gonna give you this, I was so proud of this, I actually looked this up. Let's say they use the medical, the investment equivalent of the term. Let's see if I get this right. Phenopalatine ganglioneuralgia. <laughs> You're like, hey, what the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> right? What is it called? Like um, ice cream f- headache? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, no, that's what it is. It's, okay. It's a medical term for an ice cream headache. That's funny. And so they're, what they're doing, so, so just understand that whenever you hear something that you don't know, just think that person is telling me phenopalatine ganglioneuralgia when they could just tell me it's a freaking ice cream headache. So you say, stop. I'm the village curious person. Drop the doc ego and go, what did you just say? Right? Two things. One is if there's a whiff of condescension, right? Ding, 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 alarm bells, right? Secondly, you'll be surprised how often people can't actually explain what they're saying in simple terms, right? So that's another ding, ding, ding. And remember, Warren Buffett writes his annual shareholder letters as though he's writing to his sister, who's very smart, but an investing layman, right? Using no more than eighth grade English. So if it's good enough for Warren Buffett, it better be good for like Joe or Dana Smith on Main Street, okay? Third big thing is if they tell you it's too complicated and you won't get it, mm. right? Just trust me, but don't worry your little pretty head about it. Like instant fail. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. No. Yes. So, so you see by just sort of asking and then you let them talk. And whenever they say something, you don't understand. You don't. The other thing I would say, and this is where, because you guys as docs, you get that gut instinct of like, I don't know, it doesn't present like a parasite, but right. And my gut tells me we should check for parasites is if you ever feel that there's a fog machine turned on in the room, Hmm. there has been, 
<laughs> okay? Trust you don't make up. You don't make up that feeling of there's a fog machine that's turned on in the room. That means somebody turned it on and it's not you. It's not you because that's part of the challenge that people have is when they know nothing about money, right? They assume that the other person knows everything and either there's a fog or a sensation of a fog. They're like, well, it must be me and not them. We're here to say it is not you. Right. Absolutely. Love that. Love that. Because you come to me and you say, I have a million, you know, and I'm not a, 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 you know, I don't do this, but. You know, if you were to come to me and say, I have a million dollars invested like this, I would say, okay, let's talk about, you know, how old you are. Let's talk about how much other money you have. Let's talk about what your plans are for. Okay. What, and what are your risks? Oh man, I hate, uh, I hate it when I lose money. Okay. Let's talk about that. Right. Okay. So fine. So we figured out what we're going to do. Then I'm like, okay, well, here's the thing. Half your portfolio is in really low cost basis stocks, which means that if we were to sell it all and reinvest in, in three, you know, well-diversified ETFs, you're going to have to pay a lot in taxes. So maybe we want to do that more gradually. We want to pair that. Let's have a three-year plan for that. So this is my recommendation would be like my treatment plan would be, this is what I would do, A, B, and C, right? Do you, do you understand that? Or if you say, you know what, I'd rather rip the Band-Aid, just, you know, doc, just do that procedure. Just go ahead and do that. I don't want to wait and see, right? Okay. We can estimate that your tax, because I'm taking a huge loss in mm-hmm. something, something else. else. You're like, this is a good year to, to block to in some this. Awesome. Okay. Now I know that because we've had the conversation because we've had a good intake. And then I can, I can go and uh, what do you call? Then I'll go ahead and, and, and do that sale and make that transfer. At no point we're talking. At no point do you feel like you don't understand what I'm saying. Love this. Love this. Right? Because my love job this. is to, you know, you don't need your patients to go to medical school, but you need their consent. So they need to understand what's going on and why. Exactly. In and fact, they have I've a choice. Had, they can say, doc, do that procedure now or do it in three months. Yeah. I've had patients tell me, I don't want to hear about the risk. I just want to just do it. And my thing is, I'm sorry, I can't do it without discussing. I want to make sure you understand. I will get an interpreter. Let's get an interpreter. It's right. important to me that you understand. And that's the thing. Mm-hmm. We already do this on the giving end and we need right. to do this on the receiving end of yeah, things. Exactly. So exactly. Make, like that symmetry, like what you would not do to another human being, do not allow another human being to do to you. Exactly. I love that. I love that. You I know? love that. I love it's that. It's really important. And money that. is so loaded. So like people get flustered, whatever. Right. So the process thing is around how the sausage is made. And then, cause also you need to know, like a lot of financial planners will say, look, we just do ETFs. You know, if you want individual stocks, go somewhere else. Some people say, if you have a portfolio of less than 5 million, you shouldn't have individual stocks. I'm not sure I buy that, but I do think at a certain level, it really doesn't make sense to, to be hiring because that's theoretically you're paying more for active management. And when it's a smaller amount like that, they better be really good or the compounding of these fees that you're paying is going to erode the return so much. You're going to end up in the, you know, it's not a good thing. I do want to say something. One thing that I just came across actually day before yesterday. Somebody had, I was speaking to, had a $6,000 IRA, okay? It was invested in 14 different ETFs and mutual funds, okay? 14. 6,000, 14 ETFs, and each ETF has multiple things. things under it. Yeah, okay? And I actually, you know, didn't even, because it was so ridiculous, I didn't even, like, go to kind of go, what are the over, like, what, Right. 
I don't know. Like if you had a million dollars, it would be too many. <laughs> Probably. 14. I mean, so, I mean, think about it, right? You can have, I mean, really, like I, I can think of like broad buckets. I don't know, nine tops, 10, maybe 14, but for 6,000, super ridiculous, right? So, and the other thing too, to ask is if you have some tax deferred money, like retirement money and investable and taxable accounts, ask them, how would they handle that? Differently. Ask them how they think about taxes, how they manage for taxes. You know, a lot of open-ended, how is the sausage made? A, walk me through your day. You know, I come in, I read the news, I'm on the Bloomberg, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. The other thing too is, and what people don't realize, is that there are a lot of organizations where the advisors are really like client touch points. They don't actually do the investing, right? And and how do you find that out? You have to ask them about the process. So how do you decide? And the other thing I would do is, okay, for somebody like me, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm 60, I have a million dollars and I I have to live on that, you know, when I retire in five years, Mm -hmm. how would you, do you have anybody like that? What does your portfolio look like? I mean, you know, keeping it private, but show me a sample portfolio of that. So that like questions like that, so you can see what they have is important because, and then, so the. So let's call it this over-diversification question, because then it's a philosophy thing, right? Okay, what do you feel like is the right number of ETFs at a million dollars? And they might say, well, it depends. If you have, if you need income, we're going to have some bond, you know, right? So, so again, you just listen to the answer, but it should have a rationale and a reason. That tells you if the lights are on in someone's home. Other things is just sort of what they say, well, you know, we can only pick stock search department approves. There is a lot of big retail brokerage firms that are like that. So they can't buy weird ass shit, which is not necessarily bad. But the question is, how much are they value? Are they really adding? Again, particularly for somebody who picks stocks. So if you really want like a real stock picker type, there are people to go to and funds to go to and, and where you can get that, that quality, right? And then the rest of it can be, can be just index and market stuff. You can try to get a little more return by doing that. Sorry, I'm I'm kind of all over the place, but it's no, all this, no. This is perfect. No, this that. is perfect. Index funds, though. Uh huh. What's the utility of having that managed by someone else? There isn't any. Zero. Yeah. So, okay. Not all index. Not all ETFs. So I would go with the the ones that have been have a low cost mentality anyway, like a Vanguard, because their ethos and their culture has been about not screwing the investor. Okay. You know, other firms are all about screwing the investor. I mean, they won't put it that way and they may not do it consciously, but that's what their actions are. Right. And I'll give you actually a good example of this. My, my partner's psychology practice 401k, we were like horrific. In fact, I, we were just horrified because this, 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 this 401k administrator. So you had like a bunch of funds you could choose. You could pay 25 basis points, which is a quarter of a percent, on top of whatever fees they were gathering for administering and all that shit uh, on the point for their target date, for their selection of their menu of the target date funds, right? Okay. Which included like perfectly fine funds, Vanguard funds, whatever, right? When we looked at what made up the target date funds, so like for the people between, you know, 25 and 35, right? We looked at the point, and when you looked at the pieces, like something like 35% was 
basically short-term money market type, you mm. know, like, like, bond, like short-term bond, like basically yeah. cash equivalents. Yeah. Right. For a 25 year old, retire, wow. 25 year old's retirement, there is no way a target date, like, if, I, and I'd like, this is, I'm, I'm going to have to write an article about this. Right? I'll have to pull like whatever Vanguard's equivalent is and show the, the different ads. So you're paying them 25 basis points for doing wow. bugger Horrible. all to come up with this composition that is actually harmful. Yeah. For 20. And what it is, is a don't get me fired <laughs> allocation because, you know, if for a 25 year old, it should be invested as aggressively as possible, which means it's going to be more volatile, which means if you have somebody who like flips out because, you know, the market's down a lot and, and they're down a lot. But so this is a way that, you know, but no 25 year old in their retirement account because there should be liquid savings, but in the retirement account should be like, I don't know, a hundred percent, like go, go growth. I mean, I'm exaggerating somewhat, but right. But you see what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it was like, not only was it egregious that they were going to charge that much for saying, here's our list. And the list wasn't a particularly well vetted or curated, or we have access to the only way you could get it. None of that. It wasn't that it was malpractice. Which is kind of a loaded word, I know I'm using but, in, um, as a physician, almost, but almost, that's kind of like almost, what we, we yeah, thought. Almost, absolutely. You know, absolutely. We really, it was really kind of crazy. So, so where was I? <laughs> oh, index funds. Yes. So there's no reason to pay somebody to choose index funds for you. Because now, they're low cost. You're already paying and they're meant to be passive. Exactly. So we might pay someone to do something passive. So let me yeah. ask you. When it uh -huh. comes to pain advisors, how can we, I mean, I know the answer to this, but uh -huh. I want you to explain. Yeah. How do you know what their charge is uh -huh. and how do you know whether it's worth it? Okay. Two very different questions. So the charge is that they are, so one way is you just got to ask the question <laughs> in that very binary way. Like, you know, what are the fees? Oh, the fees are 1%. Are there any other additional fees possible ever? Right? And you look them straight in the eye. Right? Okay. So that means I'm never paying more than 1%. There are no other fees. <laughs> None, right? That kind of, I mean, you really have to do that like three times and see if they blanch, right? If you have something where they put you in a wrap fund, where basically they they would say, I never did this, but I, I you know, there are um, money managers like me, special, you know, who, who will have a relationship with a, a Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley and where we run, we do our special thing and they have, they're an interface between thousands of their retail clients and us, right? But you're paying a fee twice because you have to pay us for managing money and then you pay Morgan Stanley for managing. So wrap, if you, if you hear the word wrap account, ask them to unpack the fees. If you hear the words hedge fund, ask them to unpack the fees. With mutual funds, ask if there's a 12B1 fee. That's a marketing fee. That's like, there's no reason to pay that. A lot of funds, you know, right? So, so the fee thing, you really have to be very vigilant about because particularly if in the market, whatever you pay in fees is gonna is gonna compound as a negative drag on your performance, right? So yep. the the reason now there are other planners or advisors who will use ETFs. So those are kind of index, and they will they try to do sector rotation, which is a kind of market timing 
right? Which mm-hmm. I happen to feel is kind of a fool's game, but yeah, um, I don't recommend but th- that would be one way that they could justify that they're really you know, doing this. Sometimes it is true that the managers can change at the funds or the organizations can be going through stuff at the funds and you, you're not going to be aware of that. And they may come to you about, you know, is it likely to happen with Vanguard? I don't know. Although Vanguard did do something recently that pissed off a lot of people. And I think, I think kind of against the, yeah, against, right. So that's one thing that you could pay them for, but you could also just pay them. This is where you have to do the math. 1% over my million dollars versus do I pay them for an annual, you know, a flat fee to review everything and we rebalance or do I, or do I just, you know, pay the money to subscribe to Morningstar and pull these reports, you know, get the news or Google it and get the news, you know, so it's kind of, that's a calculus you have to do. I'll um, tell you what I do. And I'm saying, mm-hmm. I'm sharing this more to, so the audience can really understand how it can be really, really simple. And well, mm-hmm. I started yeah. with the financial advisor that I ended up letting go for multiple reasons. The fees were not as transparent. I knew nothing about money. So I wasn't feeling empowered to ask the questions that you were asking. And by the time I felt empowered to have those conversations, I realized that they were not the best for me. We said goodbye. Very nice person. Very nice. Usually really nice. Just FYI. Uh Well, they're Um, always very nice. The clients are always terrific. Yes. And what I do is simple index funds. Yeah. Simple index funds. Real estate, those are my vehicles. Simple yeah. index funds, and this is can be easy. Boglehead, if you're trying to find any simple ways, they have good recommendations. I can put, I'll probably put a link of some good, easy books. Mm-hmm. Intelli- the Intelligent Investors, mm-hmm. those are simple books that can help you simplify things and do it in a way that's passive. And of course, like we talked about, you can include stocks, individual stocks as a way of playing around. It can include crypto if you choose to as a Mm -hmm. way of playing around, but making sure that you're getting value, right? For the money that you're paying as Mm -hmm. fees, including the 1% that you're paying. And yes, you can hire. My plan actually is we're Mm going to hire an advisor, Mm one-time fee to have them just look through our portfolio. We Mm -hmm. get, we get awesomeness. That I get value from. Yeah. And that and is also, how I want to use my team. Yeah. And also to the financial planning piece, because I think, I mean, I was talking to somebody going through this. He was a retired tech Silicon Valley type and we're going through it. And, and what he hadn't realized was that he kind of, this was the time where he needed to have a trust and estates review. Cause it was like, you know, if you're trying to minimize the amount that you take out of your retirement things in order to pass it on then the way you invest that might be different than if you're going to be like living off of that. And, you know, it was just like, you need to have a tax yes. trust in the state conversation. Absolutely. And, and he was so focused on what was in his portfolio mm-hmm. that he was losing sight of the bigger picture, the bigger which would have picture. much bigger ramifications Absolutely. Right? and really would dictate how the money should be run, which is where if you're going to pay for anything for the advisor, that would be, that would be, where they're trying to do that. And sometimes, you know, if you're also trying to generate a certain, if you need to live, if you need the portfolio to generate a certain amount of income, there are certain things like that, that, that an advisor or a planner who does advising could come in handy, you know? So those are, yeah, those are the things, but otherwise the the other thing I would say is the sooner you start, the better. 
the sooner you start, the better. And I notice, I, I find people who are, I mean, this is kind of interesting because they're, they're over savers, right? So it's like, okay, you're saving, that's great, right? And they take all of, all of the extra money and they squirrel it away in illiquid assets. So for their 401, you know, the retirement plans, you're like, okay, that's fine, okay? And then they start prepaying their mortgage, okay? Now, here's the thing. I get that you have a big number, right? And you're looking at your income, but you think of your income as apples and think of that big number as oranges. So you're looking at that and you're going, I want to get the orange. I want to make it as small as, I want to make it a kumquat tomorrow, right? You know, I want to make it as small as possible. Well, here's the thing. And, but they don't have any liquid savings or an investment account that is money that they're not going to touch, but if they needed to, they could liquidate very easily, right? You either need to borrow against your retirement plan or if you withdraw, there's a tax penalty, mm-hmm. right? Or good luck trying to get a home equity loan if you need it, right? And or try to sell your house to get the equity. Do you see what I mean? It's like there's a calculus that you can do when you're like, once you have the other stuff in place, and right now in inflation, you actually it's better to be because you're replaying, you're repaying with like cheaper dollars, mm-hmm. right? So, yep. so there's a whole calculation. I mean, these spreadsheets are available where you could figure out that like, so so if you, you're going to create a jam for yourself where you have like nice assets, but you can't access your cash. So that's that's also something I wanted to say, I guess. I love it. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. In terms of things, things I've seen. So, so the process thing and yeah, is portfolio construction, how do you view diversification, which is how many pieces do I need? And, but just ask them how the sausage is made. That's important. And, and see what they say. Because if they're cagey, if they're squirrely about it, ask for a sample right. portfolio that, for somebody like you. And that brings me to the next thing, which is performance, right? So it drives me crazy. <laughs> I have like such a thing about this. Okay, so as an institutional investor, I had to do, I had to comply with something called GIPS, which is the Global Investment Performance Standards, right? So I had a GIPS audit every year. And what it did was it showed that I wasn't cherry picking numbers to make, to say, oh, I had such a great year. And it was like, right? So, so it was a whole process. A retail financial, a retail broker doesn't have that. Mm. And actually it's funny because in, in, in a client thing, I, I went to the website and they mentioned GIPS, like they define it, but they don't say that they do it. Mm. Now I get it. You have, everyone has, you know, everyone's individual. So it's not like I have 10 portfolios and I run them exactly the same way. I get that. Right. But performance in the retail money management is the biggest thing that I don't know how they get away with it. Mm. I really don't know. There's no good way to tell whether that person is any good. Hmm. I'm talking about like people who are stock picking portfolios or even if they're assembling, you know, a a group. One thing I found, so this would be like a red flag, a client with a portfolio that was 50-50 stocks and bonds, right? And and the benchmark that was being shown, the benchmarks, not not one, two benchmarks for the bond portfolio were government securities and, and munis. Hmm. The bond portfolio was entirely invested in corporate debt. Okay. How old was this client? Oh, younger, uh, older? No, a few years older than me. Okay. So, and it was an inherited portfolio and it was, that was the, the mandate was 50, 50. But my, my point was, I was like, guys, because right. It makes the portfolio look awesome because govies and munis are going to be a much lower yield. 
But I'm like, but that's not the right benchmark. Okay. So, you know, you show a bond benchmark. Who's going to know the difference between a muni and a govy and it should be corporates. Right. But, but that's the thing. And I was just like, and, and, you know, so I was like, whoa, whoa, where's the benchmark? <laughs> and so they sent it with, with, with that. So part of the thing too, is what are you benchmarking to? Mm. Right. So if you have an S&P 500 index, maybe you have a little piece of international and let's just make it a classic 60, 40 allocation equities and bonds, whatever. And anyway, you do that, then, then that's what you look at what those representational benchmarks are. And then you see how your thing's doing against it. So the right benchmark is important. Now, you may not necessarily know that, but this is where the, the village curious curiosity comes into play. It's like, Tell me how you measure performance. What's a yardstick? Why are you, why, why these benchmarks, you know? And cause then they'll have to say, you know, right. If, if that question had been asked, it'd be like, well, these are government bonds. These are the safest bonds. Yep. Okay. How, how much of my portfolio is in that? Yeah. Oh, none. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Comparing um, two different things. Yeah. The other thing about performance and this drives me crazy about my fidelity statements is the way the statements that you get from the brokers do not show performance in a way that's useful. And I think it's a deliberate almost obfuscation to like get you not, right? And the thing is, any money manager, any retailer, any financial advisor, anybody is going to can generate the right data for you, okay? Mm. You guys are data literate by profession. So here's what I mean, all right? You, and I'm just thinking my fidelity statement, right? There's like what the current price of the stock is, how many shares I have, what the cost basis of it is. Right? I could have bought this 20 years ago. <laughs> of course, I'm going to have a profit. And what the, what, the, what the profit, what the gain is, right? Of course, I'm going to have a gain. I bought it 20 years ago. Yep. Right? right? Meanwhile, it could be down 50% in the last three months. <laughs> so there's that. And then they have three-year and five-year. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'll, I'll just take a split second to explain what an annualized return is, right? Is that if I make... If I have $100 and, I ha- and at the end of three years, I have $150, what instead of, oh, it's just 50%, it's like what number compounded over those three years, what return compounded over those three years would get me that 50% return, right? So it's a good way to, it's actually a really good number, but it's the only number that they're providing you. And they really should be giving you yearly returns as well, particularly when you're doing an annual review of your portfolio. So you can look at a stock and what do you see? Oh, my three-year you could have two stocks with the exact same annualized return and very different yearly performance. And you might not be okay with that yearly performance. Hmm. Or you might say, wait, they're both, I don't know, they both are retailers selling yoga pants and yet they have completely different, you know, so, so for me, Whenever I look at a portfolio, the annualized return isn't just enough. Like, and then the cumulative return, which is since the day you bought it, it's like, okay. So I really feel like the benchmarks are really, really important. And then looking at the returns, I would go into like more portfolio analysis, but I think, you know, that's kind of like a, that's its own. We'll, ha- we'll have you in the group come chat with us about that. <laughs> yeah. We'll have you come chat uh, with us. And, That'll be so much uh, fun. Yeah. So that's that. That would be performance and fees. We talked about fees. This is I great. Think, I think those. I think those were like the. Oh wait, wait, wait. I do have a few more things. Can I have a few more things? Do are we? Do we have time? Oh, I have okay. to go soon. But okay, I'll okay. have them edit this so, out. So I, I, I want to do just just a couple of things. One is so time is your friend. We talked about that. The important thing is nothing is certain. 
You have to be really, really comfortable with uncertainty. Secondly, you have to be willing to lose money. You have to be willing to risk, right? Because if you say, I can't risk anything, I don't want to lose any money, and you leave it in the bank, with inflation running at 7%, you're losing Losing 7% a year. Yep. Okay. So you gotta play. You gotta be in the soup. It's your only thing. So, so if that's a problem, that's a thing. The other thing is when things are really bad and nobody talks about this anymore, but there was a very famous time magazine cover in, I think 1982 said the death of equities, right? Mm. That moment was like the moment that the big bull market started literally. Right. So when, when, when stuff is falling out of, of, of bed, that's actually when you want to be running into the fire. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, so, so that's another thing. And so I have a few more things, but basically those are the important things. That is really important because, and that goes also back to why people, sometimes the market's going on, they're like, ah, I better sell. No, that's when you buy. That's when you buy. And if you're doing dollar cost averaging and if you're automating, so this is the thing, don't make your brain have to make cognitive decisions, automate it, automate it, and then automate it and just revisit it once in a while. Don't check it all the time. Oh, well, Mary Kay, you know, I'm going to have you back. I would love to. This, I'm so fired up. This is, this is so great, <laughs> great because this is like the thing that I get questions about this and I answer them. And I think that it's so important because, again, financial advisors are not bad. The key right. is right. asking yourself if you choosing to use one, one right. is learn the stuff, right? Learn yeah. the stuff yourself so you can do a better job of picking your team and evaluating exactly. so that when you actually have them managing for you, if you choose to do that, it's based on trust, not because of your own insecurities, for lack of a better yeah. term. And that's really important because you could have a really good tech manager who'll be down. When all tech stocks are down, they should be down. Yes, they if should they're be not, down. you should fire them. If they're up, you should fire them. Because that means right? they weren't People won't do that because they're like, oh, they made money. But no, it means they're doing something they're not supposed to be. Yeah. That's, That's a great one. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Mary, thank you so, so much. Guys, I hope this has been a fabulous episode again for you because this is such important information. If you need to listen to it more than one time, completely, legitly fine. If you need to Google some of the terms we may have used, completely, completely fine. And if you're in my money coaching program, you definitely have access to all the recordings. We're teaching you all the lingo so you can know exactly what we're talking about. But regardless of what your goal is, the point is empowering yourself is critical. It is not a great, just a good idea. It is essential because your time matters, your money matters, and you spend so much time giving to patients and clinic that we want to make sure you're taken care of as well. So thanks, everybody. Be sure to share this episode and don't forget to leave us a review. Have a good rest of the day. Bye-bye. Hey, Doc, the door to our money school is open for enrollment. If you are ready to take your finances to the next level and join an amazing group of badass women physicians just like you in a shame-free, judgment-free, net worth growing container, you have to join us. Let's take your money game to the next level. Be sure to visit www.moneyfitmd.com forward slash M as in Mary, S as in Sam, be as in badass, just like you. I look forward to meeting you. Bye-bye.